you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong. And now from the Carl Sagan and Andrian Theater at the Center for Inquiry West in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, Jake Eveman Stratton. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Helen. Wonderful to see you. So nice to see you, Jake. Helen, I am just back from a mini vacation. Uh, a minvac? A mi- oh, yeah, apparently, yeah. A it was so mini, I didn't have time to <laughs> say the entire thing. Uh, normally, I go on a miniature vacationary, but this time I went on a minva. Min- minvac? Minvac? I went down to La Jolla. A friend of mine was performing at the wonderful La Jolla Playhouse there. My partner, Sarah, and I, we had a choice of two different dates that we could go see my friend perform. Uh-huh. So we went on Thursday, and then on Friday, the next night, during the performance, the fire alarm went off, and the entire theater of 200 people was cleared out and had no. to wait outside in the no. rain. Yeah, in the rain. in the rain. To pass the time, they were playing games and singing happy birthday to someone in the crowd. and this like sounds tr- amazing. Trying to find a date for one of the single people in the audience. This I was going to say, anything that involves being forced to be out in the rain reminds me of a rom-com oh, right yeah, like why yeah. is there always a rom-com <laughs> scene in the rain where they're like i love you i love you too why Helen doesn't have wet? time to say romantic comedy uh, no rom-com may, mini, may, mini may, may. but i was wondering you've done so many performances over the years have you ever had a performance interrupted either by something like a fire alarm or something else that had to just stop the show right i in the have middle? never had my a stand-up show interrupted by a fire alarm i've been in shows where like people have had like medical emergencies oh. in the audience did they bust a gut <laughs> That's a regular state That's of affairs. A yeah. Especially when I'm on stage, right? Right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's hope to keep the gut busting happening. And please do not pull the emergency alarm yeah. just because you're trying to meet a nice person in LA. Or have a health in- health scare. Yes. Like, don't... Let's, let's stay healthy. Let's keep those alarms yeah. off. And let's get going with this show. Because today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. She is a best-selling and a award-winning cartoonist, graphic novelist, writer, and illustrator whose books include Over Easy and TV writing work includes The Simpsons and Pee-wee's Playhouse. It's Mimi Pond! Mimi Pond! Hello, Mimi Pond. Hello there. You look fantastic. Thank you. You have, uh, for our listeners who are not able to experience this live, you have very colorful hair. You have very colorful glasses. Uh, now, I'm a little colorblind. Do th- do they match? Are they are they the same? Yeah, sure. They are. Th- oh wow. <laughs> sure, they do. Okay, Helen. Your style is like what I aspire to be. Just like the hair and the funky glasses and the loud jacket and just unabashedly just. All the colors. Well, thanks. I can't take responsibility for my hair. My hairdresser's a genius. His name is Alan Negus. I just feel like I'm an ambassador, kind of like a publicist for my hair, because people <laughs> love my hair yeah. everywhere, worldwide, ah. that I go. Well, currently, it's blue, purple, and fuchsia. I feel like like constantly people say, oh, I love your hair. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like, even though it's like happens over and over, I feel like I have to 
respond sincerely to every one of them like Jennifer Aniston's on my head. Because <gasps> mm-hmm. it's like my hair is like Jennifer Aniston. Everyone loves it. Uh, Mimi, I'm especially happy to have you because uh, your appearance on this show is over two years in the making. Yes, uh, You were actually supposed to be on uh, the show that we had the weekend when everything went crazy uh, with COVID. Like that week when the NBA was canceled and all that. We were still trying and thinking we were going to do a show that Sunday. I have to give you credit. You were the first one who said... Uh, uh, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I believe the phrase you used was shit is going down. I'm not coming. (laughs) And while at the time I was a little bit upset about it, I have to say, bravo, well done. I'm going to listen to you from now on. This is like I'm a panelist on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And I flew to Atlanta to record a show. And between the time that I got on the plane and got off the plane, Tom Hanks had announced he had it. Right. And that's when they decided, yeah, maybe... Maybe well, we if Tom should. Hanks has it, then I mean, like, yeah. all hell is broken. Yes. Yeah. Helen mentioned Over Easy. It's a book that I really love. You also have a sequel to it called The Customer is Always Wrong. Now, uh, both of them took place at Mama's Royal Cafe in Oakland, which is actually one of my favorite breakfast places to go when I'm in Northern California. It's, it's the best. It's great. It's a real place. It's still there. Now, you worked there in the 1970s. Um, how often do you get to go back and experience it again? And what's it like for you? Well, I still have a lot of friends there. I used to go back often when I was working on the two books. Um I was there in February of this year, actually, but I just haven't been traveling. But I, sure. I love Oakland. Unfortunately, it's not as undiscovered as it once was. It was right. really a, a great, well-kept secret for right. a long time. It's a place now. It's a foodie town. Yeah, but yeah. it was always great. It was cheap once. Yeah. <laughs> I was reading that uh, your dad taught you how to draw. Yeah. My dad was an amateur cartoonist who introduced me to, like, Mad Magazine and great newspaper comics like you know little abner Mm -hmm. and pogo and things like that so you know i was like inoculated early i am someone who believes that i cannot draw and that is backed up by evidence (laughs) if you were to try to teach me how to draw what's the quickest thing that you could do to make me a better drawer besides what my dad taught me i I just started copying like peanuts and other things like that studying the kind of shortcut lines that cartoonists use that are so powerful, like Charlie Brown's got those parentheses around mm-hmm. his eyes that give him that compelling, vulnerable look, you know, and it's like with the tiniest flick of a pen, you can imbue a character with so much emotion. They're so expressive. You can be so expressive with so little. Yeah. I'll tell you my pet peeve. Oh, please. Stick figures. <gasps> okay. You do not want to look at my drawings then. <laughs> uh, no, what, what is it that you don't like about stick figures? It's so rudimentary and it's so stiff and, right. and expressionless. But it makes me look so thin. Also, my dad... <laughs> <laughs> my dad could draw, and as a child, I just assumed grown-ups could all draw. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'd be in class, and the teacher would draw a stick figure on the board, and I'd be like, really? That's the best you got? <laughs> Tell us about the project that you're working on now, because I know you've got a big thing that hopefully we'll be able to see sometime soon. Yeah, well... <laughs> I'm working on a graphic novel about Britain's famous Mitford sisters, Mm -hmm. who, if you don't know, were six sisters who were born between 1904 and 1920, who, long story short, they all went and did a bunch of stuff they shouldn't have done. Like outlaws? Kind of. Oh, I heard Nazis from our audience, which is not usually something I like our audience to yell out. uh... Two of them were were Nazis, were Nazi sympathizers, Mm -hmm. and another one was a communist, another one was a duchess, another one was a famous writer of comic novels and then there was one that just stayed home and became a renowned poultry expert (laughs) you know a family wow yeah Yeah. all right well we're looking forward to that and we're so looking forward and happy that it's finally worked out for you to join us today mimi pond everybody 
Helen, against whom will Mimi be competing? He's an actor, writer, and producer whose many credits include appearing on The Daily Show and creating, producing, and starring on Children's Hospital, for which he won four Emmy Awards. It's Rob Corddry. Rob Corddry. Hello, Rob. Hey, everybody. Welcome, Rob. Helen, your delivery was exactly the same as when it was uh, as, as it was upstairs. Well, you know, Four. I am kind of profesh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm uh, little, really? I'm, t- I'm totes profesh. Man. Well, Rob, when we were practicing uh, your intro upstairs, not that Helen needs we to were practice. Practice. We were reviewing. Yeah. Yes, we were reviewing your intro upstairs. We went through it a couple times. Uh, you weren't sure that you had won four Emmys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, because, well, I have a fake Emmy. Mm-hmm. Basically, from The Daily Show. The Daily Show won a million Emmys. Every year, they they probably still are winning Emmys. And But the correspondents didn't win them. So John was nice enough one year to give Ed Helms, Sam B, and I a statue, mm-hmm. an, an Emmy statue. And because he had so many left over, he was just like he just, yeah. just like <laughs> he just sharpied your name. He crossed well, you, out his you, name and put your. You know name what he said? Right here. His desk is notoriously messy. Mm-hmm. Like there's just books that he's reading everywhere, and just like how you want his desk to look. And there were three Emmys on his desk as well. And he, we came in and sat down, and he said, "Each of you guys can take one thing off my desk." <laughs> um. Yeah, so it's not quite a real Emmy, okay. But it just mu- it, it gums up the works a little bit. I'm not it, it, it throws off my count. Sam B actually calls it uh, our Kamemi. Okay. Yes, <laughs> for commemorative Emmy. Yeah. In addition to the projects like The Daily Show that uh, Helen mentioned, you also are known for projects like Ballers, Hot Tub Time Machine, and its sequel, Top Gear America, and The Unicorn, which is I believe how you met Helen Hong. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, Helen was a cast favorite. Mm. I mean, I was my favorite, and I was. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that tracks. Yeah. Uh, what was it like working with each other on the unicorn? Absolutely incredible. I mean, Super the, fun. The, the table reads. Yeah, that's the were only place we saw each so, other, really. Yeah, because we never had scenes no. together. But the table reads were so funny, and were, everyone was so good. Everyone was so into doing that show, and so into it when someone like yourself would come and give it their all and get as excited as we were about it. And the writers just figured you out right away. And Helen was just dropping diamonds. And like they would just write Cadillacs of a joke for her. Speaking of actors who would join the shows that you've been on, I saw an interview you did where you said that when someone comes on a show and will ask you for advice, if it's maybe their first time being on a set, you'd say, always hang up your costume at the end of the day and don't be a Don't be a yeah, <laughs> Tell us about each Just, of those pieces of advice. Well, first yeah. of all, the, the costume thing is young actors have to remember that we have the easiest job on set. We have to say lines believably. It's nothing. We're the, we're the last ones in and the first ones out. And the crew works so hard, and I just I think it's the most important thing for actors to to think about. Always be thinking about it. And uh, do you tip? Do you leave tips uh, for the? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do it. I do it really like so. Like I pie, I have a big bill, like a yeah. big stack <laughs> of bills. Wad, and I'm yeah. Like, yeah, here you go. Yeah. Hey, how about a little uh, extra Some, steaming of that so, jacket tomorrow, yeah. huh? Hey. <laughs> Gift cards are nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last thing I want to ask you about, uh, I read that you uh, and your brother actually are Eagle Scouts. Or That's ha- right. We're Eagle Scouts. So tell us what that was like, and are there any skills that you still use from your yeah. Eagle Scouting days? What, well, you know what? Uh, not tying skill is sort of the quintessential Boy Scout thing. 
And I, I could tie the heck out of a knot. Mm. Um, sure, I can even lash two poles together. I w- what a what a useful you skill. You got two poles and some cord? <laughs> um, we got some microphone cable. Yeah. We'll see if we can uh, get actually, that Actually, it's you. hard to say because every time I go camping mm-hmm. with my family, which is infrequently because they hate it, I... Um, <laughs> I seem to just remember these things, like building a fire, for instance, yeah. is uh, one of my favorites. I can build a fire in the pouring rain. Yeah, you pull out the matches and yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. and the Boy Scout water, which is gasoline. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll see if any of those skills come to bear today. I don't think so, but uh, we're happy to have you nonetheless, Rob Cordry, everybody. All right, Rob and Mimi, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Mimi, you said you know a lot about Mad Magazine, Patty Hearst, and, equally problematic, shopping at Costco. (laughs) Whereas, Rob, you said you know a lot about the TV show Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the movie The Abyss, and... Left turn, CIA tradecraft. Ooh. So more skills than maybe just tying Whoa. knots or tying knots around a hostage. Uh, we'll find out. <laughs> it's related. Uh, later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, Hall of Justice. First up is Mimi with Hall. Mimi, while they both might get you from one room to another, what's the difference between a hallway and a corridor? A hallway and a corridor. I feel like a hallway is enclosed and a corridor might be more open. We'll stick with that. All right, we've got Mimi's answer. We don't know yet if she is entirely correct. Rob, if you don't think she's got it just right, you can steal. Anything you want to change or add to what Mimi said? I'll uh, say that a corridor is more of a junction. Mm. It's more of a coming together of uh, halls. <laughs> Coming together of it's a, halls. It's okay. a, yeah, it's like yeah. the it's like uh, veins, capillaries make up, you know, the whole... Uh, <laughs> like got it. The hall and the oats. I'm just saying. <laughs> the hall and the oats. The hall and the oats, Mimi Pond. Sure. Nice. Well done. All right. Well, you it's, win. <laughs> well, it's time to haul this segment away. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. A hallway is always enclosed in a building. <laughs> And it's usually wider and might contain furniture like a coat rack or a narrow table against its wall. A corridor is usually narrower and used only as a passageway with nothing else in it. It's also not necessarily enclosed and not necessarily in a building like the passageway on a ship or train. Uh, that's right. And speaking of trains, corridor is also used metaphorically like the Acela Corridor, which refers to cities on Amtrak's Acela train route. It's a narrow passageway that hopefully doesn't have a coat rack on it. Uh, although you know what they say, you can't spell coat rack without track. <laughs> <laughs> They're always saying that. Helen, how did our guest do? Get me out of this. Um, I think, Mimi, you definitely got one point for saying hallways enclosed. Mm-hmm. I also kind of want to give Rob half a point because you said it's it's more of a juncture. Yeah. So I'm going to say one point for Mimi, a full point for Mimi, and half a point for Rob. One and one half. Very Thank nicely you. done. That was very generous. All right. Up next in Hall of Justice is Rob with Justice. Rob, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? This was submitted by three different listeners. Charles Albrecht of Sacramento, California, Ian Charlton of Silverdale, Washington, and I'll let the third person tell you themselves because we have a live in-person listener submission. That's exciting. That's really exciting. 
listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactorpod.com and click on Get Involved. Welcome, listener. Take Welcome, it away. Welcome, listener. Hello, listener. Hi, I'm David Chen from Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> and my question for What's the Difference is, while both might indicate that you will soon be traveling the corridors of a prison... What's the difference between illegal and unlawful? Ooh. David Chen, everybody. Thank I you so like much it. for being here, David. Thank you, David. All right, Rob, you heard David. What is the difference between illegal and unlawful? I feel like unlawful is a more general term. Illegal mm-hmm. refers specifically to a statute or law right. that has been broken, whereas unlawful is more of a generally frowned upon Act. A generally frowned upon act. Sounds like my childhood. All right, we've gotten uh, Rob's answer. I was going to say that was not like half of my college. <laughs> All right, we've gotten Rob's answer. We don't know yet if he's entirely correct. Mimi, anything you want to add or change? I would go along with that. I, w- I would think of unlawful as like a more succinct way of saying, why would you do that? <laughs> so more yeah. indignant than illegal, maybe. <laughs> All right, well, this segment is risking putting the awful in unlawful. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. Illegal means that a law exists saying that what you're doing specifically breaks that law. Unlawful means that what you're doing is not approved by law. But also there's no law that specifically prohibits it. For instance, there's a law against shooting a gun at someone, so that's illegal. There's no specific law against putting liquid soap on your neighbor's stairs to make them slip and fall, Mm. but that's unlawful and you will get in trouble. Believe me. Oh, Uh, (laughs) thank you, Helen. That's right. Unlawful also applies more often in civil cases and with contracts. A contract might be voided because the terms of the contract, not that they're illegal, but because the courts would, in fact, frown upon the terms, considering them unlawful. Uh, By the way, when I wrote this line last night, I was so tired that I wrote unlegal and illawful, (laughs) which should not be wrong and yet are. Helen, how did our guest do? Rob, I think you got both points on that one. All right. Very good job, Rob Cordry. And what is our score at the end of that round, Helen? At the end of that round, Mimi Pond has one point and Rob Cordry has two and a half points. But those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. I've got a very special guest for this ad. Hi, honey. Hi, it's Sarah Rodenbaugh, your fiance. That's how you always say hello to me. <laughs> well, we are here to talk about Butcher, Butcher Box. Box. We are big fans of Butcher Box. And with Thanksgiving just around the corner, Butcher Box turkey is something that you should be checking out because coming across a deal like this is amazing. Searching for free range turkey without antibiotics or added hormones, it must be kind of difficult for you. Well, guess what? We've got a special offer coming up to tell you about that makes your search done and done. But first, honey, let's talk about why we love ButcherBox so much. Well, it takes the guesswork out of finding the high-quality meat and seafoods that you can trust. And other things that are important to me, they're humanely raised, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. Plus, you can enjoy exclusive member deals so you can save big on your favorite cuts. And speaking of favorite cuts, we were just out of town, and I had the opportunity to order some ButcherBox that would be waiting for us when we got back, and oh boy. Boy, was it waiting. It was waiting in our fridge, luckily, because someone was able to put it there for us. And we've been 
enjoying it every night since. Yeah, we got some incredible grass-fed ribeye steaks. We got some chicken tenders. We got a big ribeye roast. I love roast, the chicken tenders last night. A full rack of ribs. Oh, yeah, tell them about this chicken tenders. It may be the best thing I've ever cooked. It, it was so good. I don't know what it, it, he mixed it with cauliflower rice and just seasoned it just so. But the chicken was so tender and so flavorful. It was great. Yeah. And that ribeye steak, I'm not usually a huge ribeye fan. I tend to like more of a filet, less marbling. Sure, sure, But sure. my life has changed ever since I had that. So getting this box of high quality meat delivered right to your door, it's amazing. Hey, how about a call to action, honey? Okay. The main course for Thanksgiving dinner can sometimes be a main source of stress, but not anymore because ButcherBox is offering our listeners free turkey with their first order. Free turkey? Free turkey! Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash GoFact and use code GoFact to get one 10 to 14 pound turkey free in your first box. Whoa. That's ButcherBox.com slash GoFact and don't forget the code GoFact to claim this deal. Thank you, Butcher Box. I'm Lisa Hannawalt. And I'm Emily Heller. Wow, Emily, we've been doing this podcast for 10 years. I know, but hey, don't worry. You can jump in at literally any episode and hear us talk about some of our favorite stuff. Caterpillars becoming butterflies. Martha Stewart flying around in a private jet full of trees. Yes, you heard me right. Trees. Neighbors becoming enemies. Just kidding. (laughs) Whatever messed up stuff we can find on Wikipedia. Our impeccable taste in everything from dogs to TV shows to bodily functions. And horses. Lots and lots of horses. Come for our horned up rants about the world. Stay for the catchy theme songs. You might not learn anything, but we're a good hang. Baby Geniuses. Every other week on MaximumFun.org. Baby geniuses, tell us something we don't know. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Mimi Pond and Rob Cordry. Yeah. Once again, here's Jake Keith Van Stratton. Thanks, Helen. Thank you to this very kind crowd. All right, uh, Mimi, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Mad Magazine, Patty Hearst, and shopping at Costco. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what Mad Magazine means to you. Well, I was basically nursed, wet nursed on Mad Magazine <laughs> um, from... The earliest issues, which had been compiled in signet paperbacks, little signet paperbacks that mm-hmm. my f- father shoved under my nose before I could even read, I think. <laughs> and so I was delighting to the stylings of Wally Wood and, and uh, Kurtzman and all the others, uh, you know, without being able to fully take in what was going on, but mm-hmm. appreciating it nonetheless. So, um, you know, and I read it <clears throat> as, a, as, you know, the the more contemporary versions as a, a child and uh, always bought it at the newsstand in the 1960s with all the great uh, parodies done by, you know, Jack Davis and uh, Mort Drucker and mm-hmm. everyone else, you know, like the poopsie down adventure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, great. Next, Mimi, you said you know a lot about Patty Hearst. I'm fascinated with Patty Hearst because she's only like about a year older than I was. It was happening in real time. The news was reporting on it. You know, she was kidnapped in 1974 uh, from her apartment in Berkeley, and it was in the news always. And it was this, like, crazy 18-month adventure mm-hmm. that just one of the many weird, dark episodes of the 1970s. Very good. All right. And then finally, you said you know a lot about shopping at Costco. Shopping at Costco. I practically live there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tell but us. don't you find it interminable, like, on the weekends? Oh, you don't go on the weekends. <laughs> 
I don't know if I've ever seen any guest be to say anything as derisive to anyone on this show as Why that. Why would you do that? <laughs> Helen, you insulted her ancestors by asking I'm that sorry. question. It's unlawful. Ah, very good, very good. Uh, tell us why you like Costco so much, though. I love a bargain. Yeah. And I could be Mormon if I wanted because I'm that much of a hoarder of, of foodstuffs. Mm-hmm. So you shop as if you have a big family. Do you have a big family? Well, no. Okay. All right. <laughs> but, but I hate having to run out to the store constantly. So yeah. it's it's handy to have big bins of things instead of like, you know, you got to go to the store for that one thing. Right. So to summarize, Mimi, you said you know a lot about Mad Magazine, Patty Hearst, and shopping at Costco. Today we're going to quiz you about Mad Magazine. Hey. Uh, I'm curious, as a cartoonist, do you notice elements of Mad Magazine showing up in your work? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, what were some of your favorite segments uh, from your favorite issues of Mad? Al Jaffe's Mad Fold-Ins were always brilliant. And the Mort Drucker stuff and the the early, the Wally Wood stuff is amazing. The the details, what are they, I think he called it chicken fat. These huge panoramic like there's a Chinese restaurant scene mm-hmm. from an early issue where there's like, you know, dozens of families and everyone's doing something different. And there's like all these hilarious details. All right. Just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject with our expert level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about Mad Magazine, each worth one point. Now, if you want it, you're allowed a hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Rob, do listen closely because if Mimi answers incorrectly, you can steal. Rob, by the way, how much do you know about Mad Magazine? magazine i'd say i uh, have a passing knowledge of it i i w- was obsessed with it as a kid and and it was something that i felt like i had to hide from my parents they looked down on it i thought it was dirty like mm. i thought i was sneaking playboy or something right. um that was but, a fold out not a fold in yeah. i think yeah <laughs> i had the more more i got into the paperbacks than i did the magazine okay well let's see how this quiz goes here's question number one from mimi pond In the long history of Mad Magazine, a publication known for its parodies, what Grammy-winning musician known for his parodies was the only person ever to be guest editor of an issue? Weird Al Yankovic, of course. That is correct. That is correct for the point. We're on our way. Fun fact, a copy of Mad Magazine is depicted on the cover of Weird Al's first album, which was illustrated in the style of a Mad Magazine artist, packed with a lot of uh, chicken fat, as you said. All right, here's question number two. The character we've come to know as Mad's mascot, Alfred E. Newman, traces its roots back to the 19th century, but it wasn't until 1956 when he was first used on the cover of Mad with his name and with what carefree, inquiring catchphrase? What, me worry? Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. Uh, You did not need the hint, but Helen, what would that hint have been? Who? You relax? Fun fact, Alfred E. Newman briefly had a girlfriend named Moxie Kowznowski. She didn't last long, perhaps because she looked more like his sister than anyone should be comfortable with. (laughs) You're two for two, Mimi. Here's question number three. Speaking of the covers, for the first ten issues of Mad Magazine, and in a few more later on, what five words appeared before Mad on the cover of each magazine? Oh, God. Oh, I should know this. Oh, I'm going to need a hint. All right, Helen, how about that first hint? They were stories specifically designed to cause madness. God, is it guaranteed to drive you mad? It's not, no, it's not it. So stories. Each, uh, Helen's hint is trying to key a, a certain word or phrase for each one of them. So the first they one is another word for stories, another word for specifically designed, and another word 
or cause madness? Tails guaranteed to drive you crazy. Ellen? Terrible. <laughs> that is not correct. No, not exactly right. Rob with a chance to steal. <laughs> no, I have no fables. Uh, <laughs> um, guaranteed to drive you insane. Ellen? No. No, that no, somehow no. was worse. No, no uh, right? No. <laughs> it's not right, right? It's not right. No, no, no. We were looking for tails calculated to oh. drive you okay. right before uh, Matt. Right, right. Uh, well, I, I think maybe you was on the right track. Did you want to give her half a point? Yeah, I do. All right, a half yeah, a point there for right that. Track. Yeah. Uh, I like ours better than that. Well, we can... <laughs> Fun fact, that may be a parody of the radio drama that was popular when Mad premiered called Suspense. Its catchphrase was, Tales well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Suspense. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> All right, here we go with question number four. You still have another hint available. Mad writers took a shine to certain nonsense words that appeared with some regularity, such as Potsrebi, Wiebelfeltzer, and Axolotl. But axolotl is a real word for a type of animal. What type of animal is an axolotl? It sounds Mayan, uh, like a lizard or something. Helen? That is not correct. Not entirely correct. No, Rob with the chance to steal. Oh, it's like a, um, a gazelle type of deer. A deer, deer gazelle type is it of a deer? <laughs> is it a deer gazelle? I'm just going to say, no. All right. It is not a deer no, gazelle. No, I'm terribly sorry. No. Monkey. Huh? And I'm just going to keep guessing. Until okay. <laughs> Nor was it a gazelle deer. It was not a was gazelle deer. Was it a gazelle deer? deer? <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, you were on the right track, Mimi. Uh, it's a salamander. It is a salamander. Again, she was uh, on the right track. Half a point. Helen, it's up to you. I mean... Yeah. All right. Another half point for uh, Mimi. Uh, fun fact. Portzebi was once submitted by Donald Knuth to a scientific competition as a proposed measurement to replace the metric system with one Portzebi equal to the thickness of an issue of Mad Magazine. Wow. <laughs> it did not somehow get adopted into our system, but it was his first submission to Mad Magazine and earned him $25. So there you go. All right, let's see how you do with question number five. You do still have a hint available. Not everyone who was parodied by Mad had a great sense of humor about it. Not only did some threaten legal action, but one case against Mad actually went all the way to the Supreme Court. The case involved some parody lyrics that were published in a special edition in 1961 titled More Trash from Mad Number 4. Several songwriters' publishers were part of the suit, but the main plaintiff was the publishing arm of one of the most prolific American songwriters ever. What was the name of this Supreme Court case? <laughs> oh, man. I I'm sure it's something hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> or factual. That's our, that's our promise on this show, either funny or factual. All right, I'm going to need a hint. Well, how about that second hint? The plaintiff is the last name of composer Irving. Berlin. The defendant is the name of the publisher of Mad Magazine, which was once called Educational Comics. So what would be the name of the court case? So, uh, EC versus Berlin. Helen? That is correct. Yeah, Berlin versus wow. EC Publications, Inc. Very nicely deduced. Fun fact, Mad Magazine's publisher won the lawsuit, mostly, helping to set a precedent that allowed for parody to be an exception from copyright laws, which may partly be why Weird Al Yankovic loved Mad Magazine so much. <laughs> All right, you did quite well in that round, but now here's your expert-level question that requires multiple answers, Mimi. It is time for your cluster fact. <laughs> we'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. Mimi, according to Mark Evanier, author of Mad Art, A Visual Celebration of the Art of Mad Magazine and the Idiots Who Create It, only three artists have contributed to more than 400 issues of Mad Magazine. 
One's trademark feature was the mad fold-in, which we discussed earlier. One's trademark was caricatures of famous faces. And one's trademark was drawings in the margins. For up to three points, who are these three artists? Well, Al Jaffe and I want to say Mort Drucker. Okay. And Sergio Aragonis. All right. Well, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand to tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is the author of Mad Art, a visual celebration of the art of Mad Magazine and the idiots who create it. It's Mark Evanier. Hello, Mark Evanier. Mark, it's so wonderful to have you here. In addition to writing about comics and cartoons, you've written many yourself, including Scooby-Doo, Plastic Man, Garfield and Friends, Superman the Animated Series. You also have a fantastic blog that everyone should read called News From Me, M-E, for Mark Evanier. And you've worked with a legendary mad artist on a comic book. Tell us about that. Well, I've been doing uh, for 40 years a comic book called Grew the Wanderer, which is uh, uh, created by a man named Sergio Aragonis, whose name was just dropped here. Mm -hmm. And I think we have around here someplace. Yes, I understand you brought a special guest with That's us. That's right, yes. <laughs> there he is. Hello, Sergio Aragones. Hey, guys. Hey, Mark. Thank you. Hey, Mark, dress like me. What is this? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. It's so wonderful that you're able to join us via Zoom, Sergio. For those who don't know, you are the recipient of the National Cartoonist Society's Rubin Reward and in the Will Eisner Hall of Fame for your work for many years in uh, cartoons and drawing. Congratulations and thank you so much for being here. We'll talk about Mad Magazine specifically in a moment, but you have a reputation for being the fastest cartoonist in the world. How is it that you get to draw so fast and, and why? That's the problem. When we draw, we don't draw that fast because we want the work be very well done. Mm-hmm. But when you are in exhibit with people around and you have an easel, you don't want to bore them to death, <laughs> taking all, all the time, going like that. So you do something that we have drawn so many times, like an Alfred Newman face that we drawn a million times go, and everybody laughs because there is this. Yeah. Mark invented a, a program that we do at the Comic Con called Quick Draw. And we want to amuse like 2,000 people that come to sit there. Quick so draw. you develop a certain speed to entertain. Mm-hmm. But some reporters saw that and says, oh, they are so fast. Sergio is the fastest cartoon. And now everybody who reads an article, or writes about me and says, he's the fastest cartoonist in the world. That's not true. So what you're saying is I'm part of the problem. <laughs> yes. Okay. Here we go. I, I, and don't forget that there's a big difference with cartoonists who draw like Superman or Batman. Sure. That they have to draw things correctly. Right. Like when they draw a hand, it had to look like a hand. Mm. But with us, we had to do a drawing. We just do a couple of sausages. And that's it. You know? <laughs> Mimi was telling us how she learned to draw initially from her father. How did you learn to draw? Doing it. Mm-hmm. It's just that since I was a kid, I was a, a refugee from the Spanish Civil War in Mexico. And there was no television. There was nothing. So you sit there with a piece of paper and draw and draw and draw. And eventually you love it so much. And practice makes perfect, I guess. There you go. Well, Mark, tell us about how you and Sergio got to know each other and how you decided to start GRU, which is has been around for how long now? It's a long 40 time. Years. 40 this, this, years. This year is 40. Wow. In fact, uh, the la- last October 7th was the on-sale date of the first issue of GRU 40 years ago. Wow. So. Sergio and I were friends before GRU existed. 
I met him when he in 1968 when he came to be a guest speaker at, at a comic book club that I was the president of. And Sergio had been doodling Gru on papers and sketches and doing so. Sergio was a cast member of a revival of the TV show Laugh-In, mm. the one that introduced Robin Williams to the world. And uh, he was a cast member and a writer and a cartoonist for it. The reason that show didn't make any money was because Sergio used all the office stationery to draw pictures of Gru on it. (laughs) (laughs) And he had done one short story of Gru, and I went to him and said, we need some stories for the backup of this comic we're doing called Destroyer Duck, which was drawn by Jack Kirby and written by Steve Gerber. Mm. Sergio gave us Gru to run there, and everybody wanted to see more stories of it. And so he came to me and said, I'm going to do more stories of Gru, the first story had no words in it, and he said, I need someone who can put some words in these things, and he asked me to, to collaborate with him on it, and one of these days, it's been 40 years now, and one of these days, I am going to get paid. I am <laughs> Now, you joke about it, but this is a, a different uh, kind of a comic because you both owned it. Oh, Sergio owns it, and, and I have, have a share of this, but back when Sergio was starting to do Gru, a lot of publishers wanted to publish it, but none of them wanted to let him own the copyright on it. And for a while, Gru did not get into print because of that, because the people at DC and Marvel and other companies said, well, if we publish it, we have to own it in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. We have a miniseries that's coming out just before Christmas, and the fourth issue of that is the 200th Gru story we, comic book we've done. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Yeah, yes, go ahead, Sergio. Also, don't, don't forget to say that it took us 10 years before we could publish it because of the ownership. Wow. Yeah, well, it's uh, we were lucky that we came along at a time when we didn't wind up like the guys who created Superman or Batman or Wonder Woman or whoever other characters. Oh, I'd be so mad if I was uh, that. Shut out of their own creations. Yeah. And Sergio, when are you going to cut Mark in on the action? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. We seem to have suddenly gotten a bad connection on our Zoom. All right. Let's talk about Mad Magazine. Sergio, you mentioned that you'd grown up in Mexico, originally from Spain. How did you discover Mad Magazine? Oh, when I was um, finishing high school, Mad came out in a a hotel that had magazines from all over the world. Mm -hmm. When I picked it up, I didn't speak any English, but the drawings drove me nuts. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe that there were such quality in humor work. Mm -hmm. The satire of certain movies and everything, it, it was... Just fascinating. And I will go to my friends and say, please help me understand this. That English that is in math is not the English that we learn in school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you didn't have Potts Ribby and uh, Wiebelfeltzer, I imagine. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about how you got to work for them. I understand you actually still weren't speaking very good English when you approached the office. Not that good English is a lot. I went there because the humor that I do, as you show... I don't use words. Mm. It's mostly pantomime. And when I arrived to the magazines trying to make a living in, this, in 1962, I went to all the magazines and they really didn't care that much for humor without words. Mm. A lot of them saw the style and said, you should go to Mad Magazine, which to me was absurd because I have never seen any type of humor like that. Mm-hmm. So I went there to really meet the people and to be rejected. <laughs> but Antonio Proías was there, the guy who draws spy, just a spy. And in Spanish, I told him, please introduce me to the, the other people. So, well, you introduce yourself because I don't speak English either. So <laughs> <laughs> that was it. So I went, they liked my work. I had some cartoons about astronauts. They bought two pages and a few cartoons for Mar- for the covers. 
And suddenly I went out with a check that I have never seen before in my life. This wow. is 1962. It was like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> so it was amazing. That was really the beginning. They bought and they asked me, well, write another article for Matt. You have a couple of cartoons about motorcycle cops. Next day, before they opened the office, I was there. Wow. I didn't sleep. Mm. And I presented over 20 gags already drawn about motorcycle cops. And they figured it out, well, we have a, a little mine here. And yeah. that's it. <laughs> and, and here we are almost 50 years later, and you're still going at it. Uh, still Mark, doing I wanted, it, yes. Yeah, Mark, I wanted to ask you, how did you come to write about Mad Magazine? And uh, what did you discover in that process? I am the exact same age as Mad Magazine. We're both celebrating our 70th birthday this year. And uh, I've been reading Mad since issue number 70, as a matter of fact. I love the magazine so much that after I bought number 70, I started hitting secondhand bookshops in Los Angeles, and by the time number 71 came out, I had a complete collection of back issues, (laughs) including including all the signet paperbacks that uh, Mimi mentioned. Mm -hmm. And one day, an editor at book publishing company came to me and said, we need a book on the history of Mad Magazine. Would you please knock this out for us? Since then, I've just been flouting the useless, except to get on this show, knowledge of <laughs> history of Mad Magazine around the place. Very cool. Well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Mimi. We wanted to know who are the three artists who have contributed to more than 400 issues of Mad Magazine. Helen, what was the first answer that Mimi gave? Mimi said Al Jaffe. And uh, Mark, is that right? That is one of the three. That yes. is one of the three. In fact, the most prolific, I believe, at the moment. Very yes. good, Mimi. That's Still alive. I think he's 100, 101? 102. 102. Ooh. Wow. All right. All right. What was the next answer that Mimi gave, Helen? Mimi said Mort Drucker. And that, Mark? And that is correct also. Correct also for the point. And finally, what was the last answer that Mimi gave, Helen? Mimi said Sergio Aragones. And Sergio, is that correct? Totally. If, if Mark says so, Yes, it very is. good. Three for three in the cluster, <laughs> Mimi. Very nice job. Mimi, while we have our experts here, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to them? Well, just that I've always been a huge fan of Sergio's. And we met a, a few years ago at a uh, Cartoonist Society party at the Smokehouse in Burbank. And I enjoyed talking to you very much. And um, Mark, I think I met you originally through Sherry Flanagan from The Lampoon. Very possibly, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can they do that? Uh, Well, I have the blog you mentioned, newsfromme.com, N-E-W-S-F-R-O-M-M-E-M-E are my initials, dot com. And that's enough. You don't need any more (laughs) than that. And Sergio, where can people find what you're up to? At Mark Ibanez. Blog. At Mark Evanier's blog <laughs> and by Mad Magazine. It's so wonderful that you both joined us. Mark Evanier and Sergio Aragonés. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, gentlemen. Sergio, we'll talk with you soon. Our pleasure. Oh, My I'm pleasure. so happy to see you. So happy you're able to do this. All right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that exciting round, Mimi Pond has eight points, and Rob Cordry has two and a half points with a round of questions for Rob coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Rob about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Mimi and Rob will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. And I'm Jordan Morris, boy detective. Our comedy podcast, Jordan Jesse Go, just celebrated its 15th anniversary. It was a couple months ago, but we forgot. Uh, Yeah, completely. Our our silly show is 15 years old. That makes it old enough to get its learner's permit. And almost old enough to get the talk. Wow, I hope you got the talk before then. A lot of things have changed in 15 years. 
Our show's not one of them. We're never changing and you can't make us. Jordan, Jesse, go the same forever at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Julian Burrell, associate producer and editor of Go Fact Yourself. Go Fact Yourself is part of the Maximum Fun Jumbotron program. The Jumbotron program allows anyone to share their message on our podcast, just like the Jumbotron at the ballpark. It's a fun way to show your support for your favorite celebrity trivia podcast and get the word out about what you're up to. It's easy and cheap. Only $100 for a personal message or $200 for a promotional one. And your message will be read by Jay Keith and or Helen. Or me, if that's your thing, but I don't think it is. A promotional message is one with any sort of promotional or commercial component to it. The cost is $200, and the character limit for your message is $500. Use your promotional message to advertise nonprofit organizations, independent entrepreneurs, Kickstarter projects, web comics, medical marijuana dispensaries, and any other businesses you would like to promote. A personal message is one without any promotional or commercial component to it. The cost is $100, and the character limit for your message is $350. What can you do with 350 characters? Wish a friend happy birthday. Congratulate a family member on a new job. Tell your parents you love them. They probably deserve it. Messages are scheduled on a first-come, first-served basis. Get more information and schedule your ad at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Thank you, Jumbotron. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Mimi Pond and Rob Cordry. Once again, here's Jakey Van Stratton. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Helen. All right, Rob, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the TV show Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the movie The Abyss, and CIA Tradecraft. <laughs> Let's find out a little bit more about each of those before the government comes to get us. First, tell us what the TV show Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. means to you. I was pretty obsessed with the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe mm -hmm. a couple years ago, and still am. You know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was just sort of this bastard child that they had lying around yeah. that that um, <laughs> was never treated very well. And I said, well, I mean, I'm, I was stuck in Fort Worth uh, away from my family shooting something. And I thought, oh, I'll give this a try. And I devoured it. Oh. I would watch like five episodes a night. I would, started resenting work. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was um, cutting into your yeah. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. time? And yeah. then... I finished it, and when I got home, I um, immediately started, well, maybe not immediately, but I started watching it again mm. with my daughter and my wife, my youngest daughter, Marlo. So I watched it twice mm -hmm. in quick succession. So uh, I guess that, that counts as um, knowing something about it, I yeah, hope. I, I would think I so. Know. We'll see. We, we may indeed see. All right, well, next you said you know a lot about the movie The Abyss. The Abyss was a big favorite of mine and my friends from college. We somehow got it on VHS. We saw it in the theaters. It, was, it came out in 89, and we just kind of wore it out. <laughs> it became so that I... I couldn't tell whether it was a good movie or not <laughs> because you know it's not if you look, if you watch the movie the dialogue came last <laughs> you know it was sort of an afterthought so yeah. it's pretty hilarious in that regard but uh it, it, James Cameron just packed everything he could into this movie and and so i still to this day appreciate it wonderful um, yeah. and then finally rob you said you know a lot about cia tradecraft <laughs> well yeah uh 
I get obsessed with things, mm-hmm. and these obsessions will last for about six to eight months. So if like this time last year you had asked me, I would have said, I don't know, uh, off-brand Sears bought guitars okay. from the <laughs> 70s or something. Yeah. It just happens to be CIA tradecraft right now. I really got into... Um, the Bourne movies over the summer. And now I've just been watching everything I can and and I've been teaching myself how to pick locks. All right. What? Yeah. How's it going? Not bad. Okay. I got my way through uh, the Master Threes. Oh, nice! And that's a that's a no joke lock, yeah. guys. No, it's got it's got uh, four tumblers. It's four got pins. false gates. Four <laughs> false gates. Um, yeah, a uh, very nice keyway though. Very yeah. nice sized keyway. Yeah. Uh, I sometimes have gotten into a, a YouTube vortex with lockpicking videos. Oh, they're amazing! Yeah, they're great. Right? Do, do you watch the lockpicking lawyer? I, the what? The lockpicking lawyer? No, I, I, I highly not. recommend the uh, lockpicking lawyer. Those freak me out because I'm yeah. like, if I know about these, here I am wasting my time with Doctor Pimple Popper. <laughs> not at all. I'm with you, Mimi. Give me a Doctor Pimple Popper over any locksmithing <laughs> well, thing. Well, they both involve poking something and moving things around and hoping they open up. All right, so to summarize, Rob, you said you know a lot about the TV show Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the movie The Abyss, and CIA Tradecraft. Today we're going to quiz you about the TV show Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay. All right. You mentioned that you rewatched it with your family. What was it like seeing it through their eyes, and did they enjoy it as much as you? <laughs> well, yeah, they loved it, but I, it was like, for me, I, I just forget everything that's, like, I won't remember this tomorrow. <laughs> so I, I could watch the show again starting today and it yeah. will be a completely new show <laughs> okay it doesn't bode well for a quiz yeah, I was show say, you, you do um, require you do realize we're asking yeah, you yeah, about yeah. information that should have been retained yeah, i can't well well you know that would be anything i can't uh, <laughs> all right well just ahead we're going to enlist the help of an expert in your topic but before that to give you a chance to show your love here are five trivia questions about it each worth one point if you want it you're allowed a total of two hints for these five questions now mimi do listen closely because you can steal if rob gets any of these wrong by the way how much do you know about the tv show Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm just here to say I know nothing about any of those topics. It's a good thing we never dated because then we would have had an ugly breakup and then you would have been able to break into my house. (laughs) (laughs) But he would have forgotten about it the next day, so who knows. All right, Rob, let's see how you do. Here's question number one. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was the first TV series in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. As such, its storylines were designed to coincide with those of Marvel's feature films. An early example occurs in Season 1 when the team is called to London to clean up after the exploits of a certain Norse god of thunder. Who is this mess-making, hammer-wielding deity? That would be Thor. And one of the things like that people had a problem with about the show is that they're like they're just always cleaning up after a movie. <laughs> you know, give them, give her, throw them a bone, will you? <laughs> well, Helen, regardless of the controversy, is that correct? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. Fun fact, in addition to Thunder, Thor is also the Norse god of lightning, storms, and, ooh, watch out, kids, sacred groves and trees. You did <laughs> not, not really touched upon in the movies. Yeah, it's weird. I think that's going to come in phase six yeah. or seven of okay. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All right, Rob, here's question number two. Since its first appearance in comic books, S.H.I.E.L.D. has stood for several different phrases. However, within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the agency's full name has remained consistent. Mm. You had to know we were going to ask this. Yeah, On the TV show, what does the acronym S.H.I.E.L.D. stand for? Uh, strategic Homeland Intervention and Enforcement Lo- and Logistics Division. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. Wow. Very well done. Wow. I'm impressed. Fun fact. Oh. 
The 2014 comic book series Shield was written by Mark Wade, who appeared as our Marvel Comics expert on episode 14 of Go Fact Yourself. All right, here's question number three. You're two for two. Rob, though the series leads logged more screen time, perhaps none of its performers proved more versatile than Patton Oswalt. Over four of the show's seven seasons, Oswalt portrayed several members of the Koenig family. But which of these is not the first name of one of those characters? Is it Billy, Eric, Ernest, Ralph, or Thurston? Uh, Ernest, Ralph, and Thurston aren't... Koenigs, are they? Well, two of them are. Well, or that's two, quite, or, hold on. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 oh. I'm going to say because they went back in time mm. and that was a Koenig as well. And that was either Thurston or Ernest. Uh, I'm going to say it was, let's say it was Ernest. So uh, okay. I'm going to say Ralph. Say Ralph. Helen? That is correct. That is wow. correct. He figured wow. it out. Well deduced. I did not understand any of your deduction. <laughs> but you got there. No, I love you it. You, you went hardcore nerd on that. I love <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I really did. Fun fact, Patton Oswalt played quadruplets, Billy, Eric, Sam, and Thurston Koenig, as well as their grandfather, Ernest Hazard Koenig. By the way, Thurston is the only member of the family who did not work for or with S.H.I.E.L.D., instead becoming a slam poet. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see that in phase eight of the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> right. Universe. All right, Rob, you're three for three. You still have your two hints available. All right. The Koenigs figure prominently in season four when they are called upon to secure a dangerous artifact from a terrorist organization known as the Watchdogs. To do so, they utilize a secret shield vault, the location and access protocols of which are known only to them. What is the name of this vault or where it is located? I'm going to take a hint on this one. I think I know it. Okay. But... Helen, how about that first hint? It's the title of a 1986 David Bowie fantasy movie. And it was located in a nice-looking town in the place where you check out books. Uh, uh, so it was the lab labyrinth. It was the labyrinth. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, yeah. Yeah, it was labyrinth. I didn't even know what I was answering. <laughs> that's all right. No, no, you uh, got it there. The location was in the Pleasant Hill Public Library. That's the place where you check out books in a nice-looking town. Fun fact, we covered the difference between a labyrinth and a maze in a What's the Difference round on episode 15 of Go Fact Yourself. Wow, 14 and 15 plugged in this quiz. <laughs> all right, you're four for four. You have a chance to go five for five, Rob. Among the series' other popular characters are Bobby Mockingbird Morse and Lance Hunter, played by Adrian Palicki and Nick Blood, respectively. They were so popular, in fact, that Marvel and ABC produced a pilot episode for a prospective series built around the duo. ABC eventually decided against picking up the series, and the pilot remains unaired. But what was the title of that pilot? I'm going to take a hint because this is new to me. Helen, how about that second hint? It wasn't... DC's least wanted. Marvel's most wanted. Oh, wow. That's correct. That is correct. Very good. Excellent use of the hit. Rob Cordry is five for five. Uh, These are great hints, by the way. (laughs) Thank you so much. Fun fact, Adrian Palicki is no stranger to unaired pilots about superheroes, having played the title role in the notorious David E. Kelly pilot of Wonder Woman. All right, Rob, you obviously did quite well in that round, but now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. (laughs) Got spooky, in fact. Wow. We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. Rob, though Joss Whedon is one of the creators of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., he was not one of the three showrunners. That honor went to the two other co-creators, both of whom are on Joss's actual family tree, meaning they are of a relation to him. But there was another writer-director-producer in the family tree of Joss's creative projects, having been the showrunner on TV's Angel. 
for up to three points, who are those three showrunners of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Oh, my gosh. I know that it's Jed Whedon. All right. Is one. It's something like Trancheon. Okay. Uh, Sarah Trancheon or Sandra Trancheon. Okay. And uh, the third one, I, can, I can't I can get it. Okay. Do you know. just want to uh, give a person's name? See if you get lucky? Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> probably Sean Cassidy. Sean Cassidy. All right. Well, Helen is diligently taking down your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. In fact, we have two experts tonight. Helen, who do we have? Joining us tonight are two prolific writers, producers, and directors whose many credits include being two of the showrunners on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's Jed Whedon and Jeffrey Bell. Jed Whedon and Jeffrey Bell. Wow. Hello, Jed. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Hello, Jeffrey. Not Come on, sir. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for being here, everybody. Thanks for having us. In addition to your work on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Jeff, you, of course, worked on Angel, Alias, and The X-Files. Jed, you have a background working on shows like Dollhouse, Spartacus, and Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. What? Very nice uh, body of work. Before we get to any of that, Jed, this is a bit of a reunion for us because yes. you and I met when we were teenagers. And it's the only reason I'm here. Oh, we'll <laughs> take it. We will take it. No, uh, yeah, we, we went to high school together, and we did a show together, didn't we? I think we probably did. Yeah, well, I know that you were in Oliver, our uh, high school production of the musical Oliver. Yes. I was supposed to be in it, but... Uh, Who my, were you supposed to play? Yeah, I don't remember the name of the role, but I remember that I w- I, my grades were not up to snuff, so I was not allowed to be in it. But you were the title role. You played Oliver, and you had an interesting experience on stage during one of those performances. Oh, uh, yes, I, a stunt that did not go well. <laughs> I, it, was a, it was a two-story set... And there's a scene where they capture Oliver, and I jump down in, into some older kid's arms. And one day they caught my legs, but not my back. So I, I hit with my legs, and then no. my head hit the stage. No. Like that. Yeah, which Did was followed by the sound of my mother screaming. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did you get a concussion? Did they have the wizard of big I don't know to-do? if I had a concussion. I just felt kind of groovy for a couple of days. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I thought that no. this, was like, this was back then, like, just walk it off. Yeah, they were yeah. like, yeah. 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 I mean, concussions weren't even invented until, yeah. like, what, a decade ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, I just want to say that would not have happened on my watch and if I had been and there. I, I think the show, and you correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, but I I think we were in the review show. Yes. Kaleidoscope. 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 <laughs> yes. A musical Which review. Does, uh, that doesn't sound cool, but it's yeah. actually less cool than that sounds. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, like maybe if it had been the 70s, it actually would have been yeah. cool. But for the 80s. And, it was, and, you, yeah. and you sang, you played the Phantom in one of the numbers, I believe. Wow. Okay. I don't remember that that's, part of it, but wow. All I remember. That okay. explains the mask you're wearing now that the people at home can't see. <laughs> yes, they cannot see, but my, my horribly disfigured face that I'm that I'm hiding there. Uh, but Jeff, you do have some teaching experience. I was uh, curious to read. You, you taught at UCLA in, a, in the I've producing taught, program. I've taught there more internationally lately. I had a chance to just go to Sweden and try to teach other people how to do what we do, which is um, make stories for television. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, how did you two meet, by the way? Spartacus. Spartacus. Uh-huh. Yes. I ran Angel back in the day. Jed and I met on Spartacus, mm-hmm. which was created by Steve Denight, who also had been on Angel. And then is this the show on like Showtime? Yes, the one that you stars the, the one that you were kind stars. of embarrassed to watch when people walked yes. in the room. It, 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 was, it was like porn, right? No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff is nodding as he says no. Uh, yeah, we were all about feelings. 
Got it. Well, let's talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Tell us about how you came to create it and how you came to uh, work together on it. I had worked with my brother a little bit on Avengers, the film that people have heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, little indie movie they might yeah, have known. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so when the idea came up, he, he called me and my wife, Marissa, to see if we were interested. And so he directed the pilot, but we wrote it with him and, and with Jeff, was there from the beginning. And so when we started talking about it, we were... We knew we hadn't run a show, and so we knew Jeff, and we were like, this is a perfect thing, so we could do it with someone we like. <laughs> and so we, we all got in a room and figured it out. And Yeah, and, and Jeff, can you talk about how did you divide the responsibilities? Because three showrunners is not a usual uh, way no, of doing it, things. It, it should right. be. It yeah? should be. Uh, running a show is more than one human being should do. Yeah. Jed and Marissa are smart people but hadn't done it before. And so it was about all working together. Divide and conquer was sort of our yeah. thinking. I always think that whenever I, I meet a series showrunner, I'm like, because like, you have to answer questions about costumes well, and like, sets and then also decision. lead the writers. It's just too much. And then you have to write. So it's, it's too much. So actually, it was great because we could all um, divvy yeah. in. And then Marissa was the actor whisperer. You know, she's she's very likable. If she were here, everybody would be having a better yes. time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and she says hi. Right. But, Wonderful. Uh, I'm so glad. So glad. Yeah. What were some of the production challenges that you ran into? Rob hinted at them in the beginning. It's like you can have a show set in the Marvel universe, but I don't know what's you can't have any Marvel heroes. Right. Right. Um, we'll give you a guy who died in the Avengers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and we yeah and 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 also you don't have money or time to make it. So right. And the other problem I think or the other thing we faced was that we knew that in the movie that was coming out halfway through our first season they were going to destroy Shield, which was the name of our show. In, in, the, um, in, in Winter Soldier, the yeah. big reveal is in in Shield there are these agents of Hydra who are. Villainous, right? And so we couldn't say we couldn't say Hydra. Switch. We couldn't have spies yeah. or double agents for the first half. Wow! Of the, so couldn't it was just like, well, it'd be a shame if something were to happen to this perfectly uh, working uh, right. yes. building. In, yeah. in no, operation. We, we couldn't even use words with the letter H. It wow! Was really, oh, that that really is a challenge. But, yeah. No, but to be fair, you know, this was a big step for Kevin Feige and, and Marvel movies. And I think Jeff Loeb did a great job of running Marvel Television, mm-hmm. and so it really was. We had to fit into their plan, and we would have an idea, and they can't. They would say, "Well, actually, in the second Doctor Strange, mm. in five years, we're using that character." Wow! Oh, and, but yeah. they, I mean, they really do have the whole matrix of everything. You know? I heard that they have like multiple employees whose job is to just do all the. They have to now. Yeah, yeah. because there's just so much going yeah. on, and the and the fans are so rabid that any if you get anything wrong in the timeline, the friends. Well, we had a we had a whole wall that was the, something we don't remember who some assistant helped us put up just everything so that we could because once we started doing flashbacks mm. and then eventually time travel which is I do not recommend anybody <laughs> creating anything well. yeah, yeah. Um, it was we had to keep track it was hard and uh, of course it aired on network television it was on ABC do you think the show might have been different uh, had Disney Plus been around at that time um, yeah we would have made like 10 of them okay. <laughs> over four years yeah, you would have yeah. spent time with your families yeah. more maybe yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit yeah <laughs> alright last thing I want to ask you about I know uh, Jed we mentioned uh, our musical background you've, you've kept up in music tell us about this album that you have coming out now I just finished a record and I put it out on with a with a whimper out into the world <laughs> I uploaded it and now it is at all the places where you can listen to excellent music. what is it called in case our listeners want it's to check called it out it's called Blue Noise Nostalgia for a Life You Never Lived awesome very very cool and can, I, can I fanboy him please it's it's terrific. He plays pretty much every instrument. He wrote it. He produced it. 
Um, his lovely wife um, sings on it as I believe maybe your daughter does a little bit. She's on a little, yeah. a little bit. Oh, that's awesome. But no, but he really, I remember when I said, so Jed, what instruments do you play? And somebody says, all of them. <laughs> and then just like, yeah, but not very well. But oh. <laughs> listen to the record. He does it all really well. Well, let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the questions that we asked of Rob. We want to know who were the three showrunners of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Helen, what was the first answer that Rob gave? Rob said Jed Whedon. And was he right? He was. He was. He's right here. It's Jed Whedon. Mm-hmm. A point for Rob. And we could just stop there. Oh, <laughs> I think for the sake of, uh, <laughs> of comprehensiveness, we should go all okay. go through all of it. Helen, what was the next answer that Rob gave? <laughs> Rob said Sarah or Sandra Trancheone. It's Marissa Tancherone. Marissa Tancherone. And what is her relation in the family tree? She's my wife. She's his wife. All right. Yes. Half a point for Rob. I don't know. Actually, it's up to them. Do you want to give Rob a half? I a think point? it's a half point. A I was very, I was Rob. impressed to hear Being even the right good. vowels. Yeah. You know, it's a, <laughs> it's a Thai name. It kind of rhymes. Yeah. Well, Jeff Loeb never got it right. So. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, Helen, what was the third answer Rob said as to who was the showrunner on Marvel's Agents of Shield? Uh, Rob named that famous TV showrunner Sean Cassidy. Yes. <laughs> and gentlemen. No, no, that's no. Who it. was it? In fact, you're just as handsome. Oh, God, God love you. No, uh, it would have been me. It was yeah, you, Jeff wrong. Bell. Uh, before we let you go, Rob, while we have our two experts here, is there anything you'd like to ask or say? I'll just say that this show was very, very special to my uh, wife and daughter and I, especially during the pandemic when we were all together. And we looked forward to it every night, and this it was my second time through. And just thank you for doing it. And awesome. um, do you think that all the 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 love you didn't get maybe from the Marvel studios uh, or, or at least the support or do you think that made you guys drove you to make a better show like did that I think it it weirdly isolated us in a good way we had to come up with our own story and we didn't it, I think we we really found the show when we bailed on that idea of trying to tie into the films it really did like yeah the show really became became a great show became amazing when thank you yeah we found now, our tell own... us about the rights to Spider-Man no no <laughs> uh, it was so wonderful to have you here it was so wonderful to see you again if people want to find out more about what you're up to Jeff where can they do that for you um, they can talk to Jed because that's pretty much the only person I ever talked to oh okay yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jed where can people do that uh, jedweeden.com exists excellent thank you so much <laughs> we're happy you exist and that you both came to us tonight Jed Whedon and Jeffrey Bell thanks so much for being here fellas all right, Helen, what is our score as we head into the final round? Oh, it's a tight game, J. Keith. At the end of that round, Mimi Pond has eight points and Rob Cordry has nine points. What? All right, now it is time for our final round. We call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Mimi and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point, And you may notice a subtle theme based on tonight's location. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Mimi, we're in a theater named for Carl Sagan and Andrian. True. That is correct. Yep. Rob, Carl Sagan was a famous science communicator. True. Correct. Mimi, Andrian is a famous science communicator. I'm just going to say true. Correct. Yep. She won an Emmy and a Peabody for her work. Rob, Andrian and Carl Sagan were married to each other. True. Correct. Mimi, Carl Sagan was against the space shuttle program. False. Incorrect. No, he really was. Rob, Carl Sagan was against going to Mars. 
True. Correct. Mimi, Carl Sagan was against legalizing marijuana. Say false. Correct. Yeah, he was He was cool. Uh, Rob, Carl Sagan was against Apple naming a computer program after him. True. Correct. Mimi, Carl Sagan sued Apple for naming a computer program after him. I'll say true. Correct. Rob, Carl Sagan also sued Apple for calling him a butthead. True? Correct. Yeah, he really did. <laughs> Mimi, Carl Sagan won that butthead lawsuit. Uh, true. Incorrect. No. Rob, Carl Sagan won the computer program lawsuit. True. Incorrect. No. Mimi, Carl Sagan was maybe a better science communicator than a plaintiff. True. Correct. And finally, Rob, and he was also an excellent namer of theaters that we're glad to be in today. Very true. Yeah, so much. Thank you. Let's give a nice hand to Rob Cordry and Mimi Pond as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce the final score of today's show? I am. At the end of that exciting game, Mimi Pond has 12 points and Rob Cordry has 14 points. Congratulations, Rob Cordry. You were the acting champion on Go Fact Yourself. Rob, what will you do with your championship? I have never won anything in my entire life, especially something based upon on uh, skill and intelligence. So I'm going to take this to the bank. Wow. I'm going to dine out on this until I forget that it happened. Wow. (laughs) We'll look forward to that. Tomorrow, right? Yeah, Yeah, probably tomorrow. (laughs) That just leaves everyone here the opportunity to promote anything they might like to do. Mimi, where can people find you and what you're up to? Well, they can find me in fine bookstores everywhere. I encourage people to buy my graphic novels over easy and the customer is always wrong at their local independent bookstore. Failing that, there's always the behemoth. All right. I have a website I haven't updated in a long time, MimiPond.com, but there's that. So. Well, we're so happy that you joined us today, Mimi Pond. <laughs> Rob Cordry, where can people find what you're up to? Uh, my address? My home address? That's your choice. Yeah. Uh, it's three... That's it. That's it. Just, just three. three. You know, you get to a level of fame in Hollywood. You just have one number. Uh, well, let me say, I do have um, um, uh, Top Gear. The the recent season of Top Gear is still running on um, the Motor Trend Network and mm-hmm. MotorTrend.com channel. Excellent. Yeah. We'll look for that. Thanks so much for being here, Rob Cordry. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you are so lucky because my hosting partner is this woman, Ms. Helen Hong. You can watch my comedy special streaming now. It's called Well Hong. Ha <laughs> ha. Where can people see it, Helen? Get it? Get it? It's on um, every streaming network except Netflix. <laughs> Thanks, agents. <laughs> great, great job. Great job. Helen Hong, everybody, doing a great job herself, as always. Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Mimi Pond, Rob Cordry, Mark Evanier, Sergio Aragonis, Jed Whedon, and Jeffrey Bell, everybody here at the Center for Inquiry West, and thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night! <laughs> Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's happening again. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod. Update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like Shop Girl Music did on Apple Podcasts. He, she, or they said, I love this podcast. From the awesome guest to what's the difference, I can't get enough. More, please. Thanks, Shop Girl Music. Because you said please, we'll make more. <laughs> Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and Jake Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the Carl Sagan and Andrian Theater at the Center for Inquiry West in Los Angeles. 
<laughs> questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex, which this week included Clint Tauscher. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Our live show engineer and sound wizard is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif with Tom Aylesworth at Marcus, Eriko, Emmer, and Brooks and McAllen Howe. Quiz assistance provided by Leora Saul and T. Valada Viers. Promotional graphics provided by Erich Tran. Our show photographer is Christine Valada. And our crew is Dave Bianchi and Spencer Marks. Special thanks to Gail Coulson, Shoshana Rhine, Jesse Thorne, Felicia Day, and Jim Underdown, Alice Pine, and everyone at the Center for Inquiry. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go read Mad Magazine! And um, watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, apparently it's good. Yeah! Yeah! MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.